Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Hillary Busis. This week, we are taking um, a detour into an area that Chris knows very well, and (laughs) I know not as well, which is The Real Housewives of Bravo. Yeah, Hillary, you are right. I am a super fan of the franchise, and uh, I guess while it's usually all fun and games, you know, it's throwing drinks as well as shade, new reporting from Vanity Fair reveals that there is a dark underbelly to The Real Housewives franchise. I am shocked to hear this. Um, Are you? <laughs> no, but but really, uh, this uh, this story that we published on VanityFair.com, it has a lot of really uh, disturbing allegations and a lot of details about, you know, from crew and from housewives themselves about things that happened while making the show um, and deep in the fabric of the franchise and how it's produced. Yeah, um, specifically mental health struggles and alcohol abuse and accusations of racism. There's also talk of unionizing at Bravo and an idea that's been spearheaded by one of the franchise's biggest names and former stars, Bethany Frankel. Vanity Fair contributor Anna Peel uh, has been investigating the show and she published them in her big bombshell story, um, which is called A House Divided um, and is available on VF.com. She's also here to speak with us. Welcome, Anna. Yes, welcome. Welcome to the pod, Anna. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so I feel like I have to make a confession, which is that I uh, know of the housewives kind of ambiently, but I am not a viewer like... Uh, of any in, with any regularity, but Chris, you're you're an expert. I an would expert. say I'm a, a super fan. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. of uh, the highest degree. So, <laughs> so Chris, reading this story, what is like the first? What is your reaction, and like, what are you dying to know about? I guess. Well, well really, it's so interesting because you have all these anecdotes that I've seen play out in the news and on the various seasons. You know, with Roni, we've got. 
you know, Ebony Williams. That stands for the Real Housewives of yes, New York. I'm already getting too inside baseball. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Real Housewives of New York. We see Ebony Williams versus Ramona Singer. We see Leah and her sobriety journey. We see Jill Zarin and uh, Bethany Frankel sort of, you know, coming back together and reconciling. And you have all of these anecdotes. And we're getting sort of what we didn't see on TV. So I'd love to know, uh, how did you go about this reporting process? It feels like it must have been so... Hard to do. Wait, before you talk about that first, I want to know, but like, I'm I'm also curious about the reporting process. But what I want to know first is like, why is like this the moment that like you felt like this story first, like that you wanted to start reporting it in the first place? Like, what what is the state of Housewives like? Why is it at a tipping point? Well, I had written about the racial reckoning on Roni, mm-hmm. and I felt like. Things had changed a lot, but it was obviously – it obviously hadn't changed enough, and mm-hmm. it was a very painful process, especially for the people of color who were put in the position of, like, integrating the cast and then having to explain to all these white people, like, what was what going on. What is racism? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was really crazy to watch in real time. Yeah. It was crazy, and I think that it did – I think it was really, really hard for those people, or at least the people I spoke with said that it was hard for them. And then so I was thinking about how drinking had changed on the show. And there were so many more people who were getting sober. There was Lala. Mm -hmm. Carl Radke from Summer House became sober. Sorry, Lala's from Vanderpump Rules. Vanderpump Rules I have seen. Weirdly. Yeah, no, uh, this is too much information. I watched Vanderpump Rules when I was pumping for my daughter. uh, So it was like an inside inside joke that I had with myself. Um, it's a good one. <laughs> it's funny. But anyway, so yeah, so the, the Bravo-verse is vast and interconnected and various people, guests on different people's shows. I mean, you describe it as a cinematic universe, which feels like, yeah, an apt description. But yeah, so you kind of felt like there was something happening at Bravo, like network-wide things were changing, not just on the Housewives shows. Exactly. It felt like we still had this fun social drinking culture, like certainly on Watch What Happens Live, Andy Cohen's mm-hmm. nightly talk show. But then... It was still a part of the shows where people were having fun. They were having parties and they were having these iconic, memeable moments. Mm-hmm. But then they were existing at the same time as people going through sober journeys. Mm-hmm. And so I was interested in how that was being handled internally and then also how production was checking in with cast members who might wind up needing to go on a sober journey and like where those checks and balances were. So I initially thought about it from that perspective And then what I thought was going on, which was that basically that there were a bunch of people who were being managed and kept safe, but they were doing kind of what they wanted. They're adults. They always say, we don't, you know, they're adults. They make their own choices. It wasn't that kind of environment. And it wasn't as always supportive as I assumed it would be. And there weren't always grownups in the room saying enough is enough and you know, I just learned more and more and more. As viewers of the show, do you guys feel like in as much as more cast members have gotten sober or are like trying to drink less, like has that had an effect on the show? Like do do you understand kind of the other side of it, which is like we want these women to be drinking because they're more entertaining when they are, which kind of seems to be the network's like point that of view. It seems to be a lot of the audience point of view too. <laughs> yeah. A lot of these shows, I mean, I think – uh, Roni, Real Housewives of New York, is a good example of uh, all of these franchises have ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys, and they're not always all, you know, firing on all cylinders or super entertaining all the time. And it is a sort of 
maybe problematic to say, but a lot of the funniest and like most iconic moments happen when Sonia Morgan is drinking a lot and slips and falls or something, (laughs) things that are obviously uh, alcohol contributes to the absurdity and sort of the stakes of the moment. So you do see people online, especially on Twitter and Instagram, complaining that, oh, wow, people stop drinking in the show, gets boring, but we don't really ever talk about what the toll that drinking has on these women Mm -hmm. as, you know, stars of these shows. And in reporting this, you know, I saw it on real time and I saw Leah McSweeney throwing the tiki torch and it was so iconic and it was so fun. And, you know, Leah in Rhode Island, Hurricane Leah. I'm going stir crazy. There's just only so much talking about yachts and D-class A that I can really handle before I'm like, this is how I have fun. Ah! Oh my God, I hate these tiki torches. They suck! <laughs> you! Why? Because they suck. They just represent bullshit. Why? They represent like a fun party. No, they don't, honey. You don't no, read the news about But then when I was watching it again with this context of what was going on behind the scenes, it's this tough. is really, really tough. In terms of talking, like how many women did you talk to? Like, can you get into any of that, or is it you sort of? I talked to current and former housewives. I talked to producers. I talked to people who work with housewives and other Bravo cast members. Oh, my gosh. I, I can't even tell you how many interviews I've done over the last yeah. months. But um, it many, many conversations with many, many people. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's wild, too, that uh, like what struck me most was at the very beginning of the story. You talk to a housewife who is anonymous because she's still involved in the show. And she basically says, like, yeah, this sucks. I hate doing this. But what else am I going to do? Which is just like. It's not even Stockholm syndrome because she's acknowledging how miserable, like what she's aware, like, like what miserable, yeah. like how miserable of an experience it is to be on this show to like all the sacrifices that you have to make. But yeah, like they keep they keep doing it and they're doing it willingly. Like mm-hmm. that's the that's the wildest part of the story to me. It's just so hard to walk away, you know. Mm-hmm. Once you have that kind of attention, mm-hmm. and some of it's adoration, and some of it's very <laughs> unkind. <laughs> things yeah. but it's like i i just don't know how you go from being in the sun like that to you know not and i think it's really hard for a lot of them and you can see someone like Jill Zarin did she leave the show of her like her own volition or no no no, no she okay. was not asked back and she sort of uh, her time in the sun was so good <laughs> it yeah. was so, it was so entertaining it was so is great is it public why they didn't why they fired her or just didn't renew her contract or whatever, however you phrase it? They sort of went with Bethany over Jill. They were sort of, they were feuding their relationship. They were best friends. Don't you want to have them both on the show if they're feuding? One thing that isn't a thing of why you definitely get kicked off the show is red lines. It's like, it's not like, okay, this behavior is always banned. Mm -hmm. It's a case-by-case basis. Mm -hmm. If they like you enough, they'll let stuff slide. 100%. Exactly. It can be violence. It can be Racism. Racism. Yeah, racism. Yeah. It can be other kinds of bad behavior. I think 
I loved the ending of your piece because I think with my friends, right, we sort of think of Bravo and Real Housewives as sort of like our sports, right? We've got our favorite teams, our favorite players, you know, their stats, their literal seasons of like yeah. <laughs> who's playing, who's first string, who's second string uh-huh. for each season. I feel and, like Fantasy Housewives is like the, there's a separate part of the franchise now too, right? Where oh, they take people from different... Totally. Yeah. That's Ultimate Girls Trip yeah. where they put the best, you know, <laughs> the top players and, you know, mm-hmm. and all in one sort of uh, in one environment. And I think there's such an interesting parallel to go back to Hillary's point about why do they keep coming back where it's like we watch, you know, people watch football and these sports that are, you know, bloodthirsty and mm-hmm. bad for you physically. And yet mm-hmm. like the 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 glory that you get and the sunshine and the admiration and the love from the masses, it keeps people coming back. It seems like that's sort of a big part of the housewives, and it's it's hard. Again, I I think we're reaching a question like, can we ethically consume this anymore? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's. I thought that parallel was so interesting because you know we don't really bat an eye when you know football players boom hit each other and somebody gets knocked out. But how yeah. different is that from then seeing you know Leah McSweeney you know relapse? Me and alcohol have a very weird relationship. I didn't drink for nine years, and I started again maybe six months ago, but I am someone who actually enjoys, like, completely, like, going crazy. The other night, I went out and drank way too much, lost my Chanel bag and my passport, so I'm putting it back on pause for a little bit. I do think that the pressure to be entertaining and to be told, like, turn it up, Mm -hmm. like, to party, you know, mm-hmm. and be interesting, like, did contribute to perhaps how much she was drinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And certainly to be on an Ultimate Girls Trip and, you know, they say, oh, like, we support people's sobriety. Like, we always make sure that there are non-alcoholic beverages. Mm-hmm. But then if cast members say to a sober castmate, you know, I, I wish you, you were drinking. I yeah. wish you were drinking. That yeah. Was all, yeah, that part also really stood yeah. out. And also, I, I don't know if you watched the new Roni reboot. Oh, of course I did. Of course. But... <laughs> Um, Jenna Lyons took a sip of alcohol at the end of the yeah at the end of the um, reunion, right? So they do make a big deal of saying, you know, like we make sure that there are you know different colored whatever to designate which ones are alcoholic and which ones are not, and that could be a really big deal for someone who's sober to have taken a sip of alcohol. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was like for Jenna, but yeah, that's huge. But going back to the like the glow, I feel like sometimes that they, they stay because they have a bad season or they've put so much money into a business Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you kind of have to make it all worth it. Mm -hmm. It's like, I went through all of this. Like, I have to get something out of this. I have to win. Well, that's so interesting because, I mean, a big part of the story is arguably the woman who won Housewives more than any single person in the world, Bethany Frankel, who has become, you know, a, you know, a Shark Tank-level successful businesswoman, um, but clearly has a lot of complicated relationships with Roni and sort of what birthed her. And I... Yeah, she's, I, she seems sort of like a like a Frankenstein figure <laughs> in, in the yeah. article, which, like, she is partially... Resp- she feels partially responsible for, like, what 
the housewives became and is now like what she was have, what have I helped star. to create? Yeah, because yeah, she was like, oh, it's like if you go on this, you could be better. You could sell a company for a hundred million dollars, and that's actually not going to happen. That didn't happen to like anyone else, no. really. So well, I was under the impression that everybody's side businesses are like jokes on the show. Like <laughs> that... a lot of them are, some of them are, but a lot of them are. And I, I say this as someone who like I loved Roni. I always, especially like that era of yeah. Roni. I always said I am a. Sonia Sun, a Bethany Moon, and a Tinsley Rising. So I think I really do really have a lot of love for Bethany, but especially in recent years, she's sort of really sort of on TikTok. These are the 10 terms that I propose subject to modification. I did not buy the idiot guide to starting a union in 24 hours, but these are fair. These are ways that talent can understand compensation without having to try to audit a multi-billion dollar powerful company that hides money in different places and likes to try to pretend that everything equals a show expense so you never get any of the gross. She's sort of gone a little bit off the rails in terms of her relationship with the show. So uh, I guess what I'm asking is how how much can we take what she says as truth just given how much she gained from the show and how quickly she sort of turned on the thing that sort of birthed her. Well, I'm not in her head, but <laughs> I I think that she says it's her penance, right? Mm-hmm. Like what she's doing now. Because a lot of what made her Bethany was doing it on the backs of other people, right? She says it's kill or be killed. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like if you're on top, that means someone's on the bottom. But I think grappling with that and seeing how it was impacting people made an impression on her. And people can question why she's doing whatever she's doing. But if, like, there are not rights for Mm -hmm. these people in the same way that there are for other people who work in entertainment. Mm -hmm. And so if she's working to make things better, it's, like, great. And, I mean, I guess we should say it's a reality TV-wide problem. It's not not just that the housewives are ununionized, but there are so many fewer like, labor practice, like, standards for reality than as there are for a scripted TV. Yeah, and it's sort of at the discretion of the production companies or networks what the rules are Mm -hmm. and how they're enforced. There are very, very few reality shows where there is the same cast over many seasons. And, you know, people get switched Mm -hmm. in and out. But, like, most places are one and done. It's like, you know, there's a an inherent disposability to a Bachelor contestant mm-hmm. because they're only going to be on for one season. And I thought because they have these years-long relationship with people that everybody had to at least be taken care of to the extent that they could survive in this world. And mm-hmm. not everybody does. And I don't know what it's like at every production company. So um, I can't speak to everybody's practices. Yeah. So I'm uh, talking a little bit about other reality shows. You wrote another long story um, for VF about Love Island, a very different show in a different country. Um, I mean, I guess there's an American version, but nobody really cares, cares <laughs> yeah. about that one. Sorry. Same. Yeah, that's not, that's um, not <laughs> But uh, But I'm, I'm curious, as you were reporting these two stories, did you see similarities in the ways in which they're made, like in the problems that they both have or had? Well, Obviously, fame complicates everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but with Love Island, it's made so differently, mm-hmm. which is like you go into a villa. You're there for, you know, whatever it is, like six weeks. I think now it's like eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And then there's no external 
communication. So mm-hmm. you, you, except for like a few challenges where you kind of like hear what people are saying about you, but you have no idea what's going on. You're totally sheltered. Mm-hmm. You're obviously aware that you're on TV. Mm-hmm. But, but then, is it like you're isolated? You can't like read a book or like. You don't have your phone. Yeah. You can't do anything. Yeah. It's like you're just stuck with these people in this house. And then you leave and you're one of the most famous people in the UK. Mm-hmm. And like, what is that? level of fame so quickly due to a person. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really hard. But Bravo, I think, is a little bit different. I think that the challenges people face on Bravo are trying to be liked by the fans, Mm -hmm. trying to be liked by Andy, trying to get a good edit, Mm -hmm. trying to, you know, and trying to be a good sport Mm -hmm. when they're teased, which is sort of the format of Watch What Happens Live. You know, Mm -hmm. they're answering polls about, like, stuff that they've done wrong and, you know, which Real Housewife of New Jersey has the best bad nose job. Okay. Uh, finally, who's the sharpest tool in the shed? Danielle, Dolores, Jackie, Jennifer, A, Jennifer, F, Margaret, Melissa, Rachel, or Teresa. The sharpest tool in the shed you guys are giving to Dolores. All right. Oh, okay, good. Okay. You both seem a little surprised. Dolores. I love Dolores. Okay. I love Dolores. Dolores. Okay. I mean, I don't I mean, you know, yeah. Okay, thank you. And I love Dolores. She's one of my best friends. I'm not going to be happy to see your reaction. No, Uh, (laughs) and you just have to laugh it off if you're these people because you don't want to piss off your employers yeah, or seem like a bad sport in front of the fans because they don't like that. They want you to, like, be fun. Yeah, well, it seems like in some ways the longevity of the franchise makes that harder because you know what people want from you and, like, there is a standard that has been set and... And yeah, like you, you can't be a bad sport. You can't be boring. Like that might be an even worse thing than being a bad sport. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. As fans with you. <laughs> that is very true. That is maybe the one unforgivable sin is to be boring. <laughs> because you, I mean, you look at like a reality show that's like a phenomenon. You look at like Jersey Shore or something, the first season of that. And that was so great because no, these were like totally just like new people yeah. who just were on TV and it was just actually watching real real interactions unfold and it was magical because they weren't they weren't trying to do anything but just like be whatever yeah. them they were like actually naturally and that's not something that you can manufacture and like trying to is maybe like what starts getting you into trouble yeah and the thing is we used to have that with the Housewives in season one, two, three of, you know, these different franchises. But now it's like everybody knows what it means to be a housewife. Well, and also in those early seasons, are the housewives in a new city? Like, do they actually ever know each other in real life or have they just been cast? Some of them were really real friend groups. Mm-hmm. Or even relatives. Yeah, you know, yeah. related, yeah. And the shows, so the I feel like the benefit, like cost and benefit to like, the longevity of the show is in the early seasons, yeah, maybe you're more guileless. Maybe you're not performing like an archetypal mm-hmm. housewife role. But as they go on, they have these really, really long relationships that, that they can draw on. So any conflict has more meaning. I think as the show goes on, like not to be like Sex in the City, New York is the fifth character. It's like, <laughs> But the show is like a mm. character now mm-hmm. on all of these franchises where like a lot of the fights are about the show mm-hmm, and yeah. things that happen off camera or some, you know, somebody said this on camera and they weren't supposed to because we made an agreement, you know, mm-hmm. Fox Force 5 that we weren't going to talk about that. That definitely means nothing to you, but <laughs> the girls will get it, we'll get it. Um, so I do, I do think it's a, sort of to circle back to the show being a character and also Andy's role because I think your piece does such an interesting job of interrogating his uh, role in the Bravo sphere as like a deity, but also, you know, uh, 
on the marionette man, yeah. <laughs> like playing the strings and being, you know, the boss, like daddy, but also don't cross me. Um, I mean, he is kind of the unifying force. He doesn't produce all the shows. He produces Housewives and he produces Ultimate Girls Trip, which is the all-stars Housewife mm-hmm. franchise. But he... All the cast members, like from Below Deck to Married to Medicine, all come on Watch What Happens Live. A lot of shows have reunions that he hosts. Mm -hmm. He is the center of the world, and he doesn't set the narrative, you know, necessarily. Like, Mm -hmm. that's the edit. That's what actually happens with the people. But the conversation that fans are having, he's facilitating that. He's asking the questions. He's running the polls. Mm -hmm. He helps us make sense of it. Or sometimes he follows fans when they're going a certain way. You know, like, people really went after Rachel. Yeah, Yeah. Rachel. Words, the (laughs) Okay, Uh, vote in our first poll. It is whose behavior is more despicable, Tom or Raquel? What do you think? Who who are you more upset with? uh, Well, Tom, because he was... Yes. Okay, and the audience is two. That's the landslide. And it's like sometimes, you know, when you have a role like that, when you are the boss, when you are Mm -hmm. the father figure, Mm -hmm. it's like when you are an executive producer on some of these shows, like when do you step in and say like, all right, guys, like we're all, we all like these shows. We're all having fun. But this is a person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's, and I know that he can do that. I've seen him do that, you know, when there are serious issues. Some He's brought up with, anti-Semitism, with homophobia. Mm -hmm. But sometimes these things can become life and death. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. really impacts them. Still Watching will be back in just a moment. And when we return, more on The Real Housewives with journalist Anna Peel. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um, who should be the mayor of New York? We all support yeah, that. We support that. Very <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K, Anna Winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mao. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. 
Place. I want to be in a happy place too. But I also want to be in an authentic place. I want us to be able to tell the truth from Mona to each other. If we're going to be good girlfriends. I want to have fun right now, okay? I had a really hard week. That's your privilege. This is the white female fragility, Ramona. You're preaching me. I'm not. You are. That's gaslighting. You know what? I'm not gaslighting yes, you. Yes, you are. You're gaslighting me. I invited you, you into my home. That I want to have a real friendship with you, Fine. Ramona. Because I, I like you. I like you too, but you But you what? can't like me only when I say the things you want me to say. You can say whatever you want. I just said, don't. I don't want to talk. And I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. I don't want to Race, religion, or creed. Is that okay? Creed. Ramona, that's who I am. Well, then you know what? You need to back off a little. There's also Ebony, uh, who has a, a long court, is the focal point of a long portion of your article also. Um, the show Real Housewives of New York had never had a, a housewife of color or never had a black housewife? Never had a black housewife. So it had never had a black housewife. She was cast on the show. And, you know, ostensibly that's to, like, have a different kind of, of point of view. Yeah, it's and, like, New York. Right, there should be. Exactly. <laughs> it's New York. Housewife, it's literally like, <laughs> Weirdly, black people live in New yeah, York. Right. Not um, just blonde women on the but, Upper East Side. I think that's that goes to a question that I have in that, you know, some of these women, and it's really some of the responses, some of the most shocking things in your article were the responses from the housewives that you reach out to, Ramona, <laughs> who just simply love to repeat the, the, before, before, like lots of typos in her responses. <laughs> but it that goes to show that, you know, she's one of the longest standing, you know, OGs of one of the biggest franchises. She was on the fir- like first season. Mm-hmm. First season okay. of Real Housewives of New York from the very beginning. And not to say say that she's protected for her bad behavior, which got so bad that I think people sort of called for her to leave. But there seemed to be sort of a uh, like a moat, like a like a castle, like protecting her Mm -hmm. and some other housewives of her status, maybe a Luann, maybe a Sonia, even when they are sort of clearly acting out and have made and crossing a line over and over and over. over and over and over again with sort of no, it seems, possibility to learn from their actions. Well, I think it was really interesting because I had seen, you know, her fights with Ebony, which were— On camera. Yeah, disturbing enough, Mm -hmm. um, the kind of cluelessness about race— that was coming. Did it seem like put on for no, no? No, it really felt really. That's the thing. It really did feel really authentic to yeah. who she was. And she also, and this was part of the article. She was like, "I refuse to talk about this on camera. Like, I don't, I don't want to engage in race." And then she would continue to do like very, I'll say, um, microaggressions. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the nicest way to put it yeah. against mm-hmm. Ebony, which you could argue there might be more than micro. There might be mm-hmm. macro, but calling, you know. Madam C.J. Walker, who she called E.J. Walker, a black chick. You know, it's just stuff like that all the time and kind of malignant cluelessness, Mm. I think. But seeing that and, like, then having the backdrop of what that was doing to members of production and Mm -hmm. how it impacted them and the stuff that we didn't see. Mm. And um, not, yeah, not just Ebony. Not just Ebony, but the black female producer, Darian Edmondson. Mm -hmm. But I will say to that, which brings us sort of to Neuroni is that it did end up getting to a point that it was not fun for anyone to the point where they wiped that whole slate clean and they completely they were like this version of this show no longer serves the audience and I do think it's sort of unfair I actually interviewed Ebony before you, the season began. Yeah, I, I remember. I edited that yeah, story. You I absolutely mean, did. Did. <laughs> did she give the impression that she knew what she was walking into, or uh, that she felt like she knew what she was walking she into? She gave the impression that she, I mean, she's very bright, very smart, you know, a lawyer, like great head on her shoulders and whatnot. I think she thought she could be in control of her own narrative, mm-hmm. and you know, would you know, be doing this thing that's really important because it's important to have you know a black housewife on Real Housewives of New York if we haven't had it in 
12 seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think she was thrown for a loop ultimately and that she wasn't actually as prepared for what she was walking into in terms of who has power and who doesn't have power in this sort of ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I do think it, while I do think it was necessary to sort of wipe the slate clean because the show was not what it used to be and maybe wasn't as fun as it used to be, it does sort of look like to the audience, oh, we bring in a black cast member and now we have to scrap the whole thing, which Mm -hmm. is unfair to Ebony and kind of hard to sort of grapple with. Well, that's what, finding out what was going on behind the scenes sort of, justified all of the things that Ebony was talking about on camera that some fans punished her for. Mm -hmm. It's like the need to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know. It was was really – it's like a lot of this stuff, right? Like it was in front of us the whole time. We've seen them drinking the whole time. We've Mm -hmm. seen Ramona like interact with – Service people, yeah, service workers and and hotel staff in the craziest ways. Yeah, (laughs) and we we knew it, we we saw it, and it. But it, I don't know what we do next with this information. Mm -hmm. I hope it's a matter of looking at our appetite for this gladiatorial (laughs) conflict and thinking about the cost to those people. Mm -hmm. But then I hope it's also changing the way that they're made so that mm-hmm. there's some... Well, yeah, that's that's a good segue. So, mm-hmm. like, how has Bravo responded? So while we were speaking with them about the story, they released a new set of guidance for their production partners. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bravo distributes the shows on cable and, you know, and through Peacock. Uh, different shows are made by different production companies. Mm-hmm. Shed, which produces Roni, Salt Lake City, Ultimate Girls Chip, is owned by Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Other companies are owned by different people. Um, so they released new guidelines, one of which was to avoid a situation like the one Ramona wound up being in, where there were multiple investigations into alleged racial hostility and racist language. Mm-hmm. And so now there's a daily reporting system. So every single day, the production company has to go to NBC Universal and, you know, say that it was an incident-free day or if anything happened. Is that separate from the hot sheets or is that... So the hot sheets just um, document what happens on camera. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just very, very granular details so that everybody can read through and know what, like, what the plot lines are before they have edits of the shows. Cool. Uh, Another thing that's in place is now there are going to be more alcohol, guidance around alcohol. Mm -hmm. So now they're supposed to be looking at how much people are drinking and making sure people don't get too intoxicated. They're going to cut people off at, they say, maybe? They say maybe. I mean, I'd love to hear more specific guidance, but that's different from the former policy, which was these are adults. No one's making them drink. If they ask for alcohol, Mm -hmm. we we give them alcohol. They can do what they want. Mm -hmm. But if somebody, you know, my feeling is if somebody's drunk enough to be described on a hot sheet as drunk. It's like Mm -hmm. they know that this person's intoxicated. Or if Mm -hmm. Andy Cohen calls someone drunk, though he called Meredith Marks drunk on Watch What Happens Live, it's Mm -hmm. like we can see that. So if they know that, then, you know, what's the line for when do you stop filming with that person? It's tricky. And I I guess I'm going to go back to my big question of can we 
ethically consume this thing that I have been consuming since I was 15. So I feel like you also asked when Jen Shaw got arrested yeah. for... I did. I, yeah, I wrote a, like a big piece. For like, what, defrauding old people? <laughs> defrauding old people. But to be fair <laughs> about that, she'd been doing that for many years before, before she, she was a housewife. Okay. So that's sort of a Jen thing. But it was a big, a big storyline. And it's one of those things where... And I have these conversations with my friends all the time because it is such an important part of culture. And arguably, if we're looking at, you know, Strike City in Hollywood, it's one of the only places in the entertainment industry that is like growing and growing and growing and getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. reality TV. How many Housewives franchises are there? Ten, Ten. including wow. Ultimate Girls Trip. That's Gosh, wild. That is wild. That's and so much content. I know, and I've watched yeah, a lot of it. <laughs> How many years <laughs> I mean, of my years life? Of my life. <laughs> Can't think about that. But it's, is there a way for us to enjoy these women and these shows that have given us so much joy and also a lot of pathos. I, you know, I've laughed, I've cried yeah. watching these women who are sharing themselves, who are, again, they are willingly doing it. No one's, you know, putting a gun to their head and forcing them to go on camera. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so what do you think? I think it's, A, knowing that things are safe behind the scenes. I think that's really important. But I think ethical consumption is how we talk about it, mm-hmm. how we respond to it, you know, not calling Rachel Levis a whore, mm-hmm. but not piling on when she's clearly struggling, when she's taken herself out and yeah. has, you know, checked into yeah. a mental health facility. Thinking about Leah McSweeney's story and just looking at it with compassion and instead of being like, you signed up for this, like mm-hmm. understanding that people feel pressure in these situations to perform, to stay, to not let their castmates down, to not mm-hmm. let producers down, to not let fans down. Mm-hmm. They, you know, and there's a financial component. If you leave, like, you're not going to get paid for the show. It's it's so hard. And there's so much going on to just, like, think about that instead of, like, they're, they're characters, but we just have to remember that they're people. Mm-hmm. They're people. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I, but then I guess the other question is, if there is a more ethical version of Housewives, are you still watching it? I think that there are shows that—I don't know everything, but, mm-hmm. like, when I watch Married to Medicine, mm-hmm. it, it seems like it's a more—it's a supportive—that's made by Purveyors of Pop, which is an independently owned production company. You know, I, I don't know, but from mm-hmm. what I— see mm-hmm. like this seems to be a close-knit group of respectful <laughs> people it's like i know yeah. some of them are doctors and you know so it's like it's kind it's of a different, different yeah it's yeah. a little different but still but even just the way they're treated but there is a, a reunion on of married to medicine and sometimes like just contrasting it with the reunion of vanderpump rules where mm-hmm. you know because the, the reunion is is the is the moment of reckoning mm-hmm. it's the you know you're reconciling everything, everything that, that happened yeah mm-hmm. and you're answering for your sins and you're you have to respond and you you know you have to defend yourself or you have to like you know fight uh, it out yeah or but, apologize <laughs> yeah but this vanderpump finale it just felt like it was there to have everybody scream at mm-hmm. Rachel and Tom yeah. Sandoval. Yeah. And it wasn't fun. It felt cruel. Yeah. And then, like, contrasting it's that— like, It is, like, gladiatorial. Yeah. yeah. And then watching Married to Medicine, where there was a couple that broke up, and literally they reconciled during the reunion because everyone was like, okay, these are human beings. We're making a TV show, but, like, the, these are people. a real people. relationship. Yeah. yeah. And, frankly, it's like they're putting— like humanity above entertainment and it wound up making the most 
entertaining show ever. It was the mm. best reunion I've ever seen. Mm. But yeah, so if if some of the franchises are like that, why couldn't they all be? Great, great question. Yeah. yeah. Still watching? We'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, more on The Real Housewives with journalist Anna Peel. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts. What do you think of the state of Bravo like right now? We, we're at sort of an interesting time because Beverly Hills is coming back. There's a whole storyline that's playing out in the news right now with Kyle Mauricio's relationship. Potomac is coming back, one of my personal favorites. Yes. I used to recap it for Vulture. Um, <laughs> and so, and there, there has a big like uh, relationship imploding with Robin Dixon and her husband. Um, and Salt Lake City is still happening and in a post-gen world in New York City just sort of you wrapped up. You know so much. I do. I really do. It's really actually crazy um and i think i feel like i just like <laughs> asked rain man to like <laughs> and i could go back 15 years too um but it feels like we're at an interesting point where there was sort of a lull this summer where shows weren't really hitting the way atlanta they, exactly atlanta sort of not a great season for them um where do you think we are right now with the franchise well i think i, I mean miami Last season was incredible. I think Salt Lake City is having a great season. Yes. I'm really excited for Potomac. But, like, Ultimate Girls Trip, it makes me nervous. The next two that are supposed to come out. New York. New York with Ramona. Like, Mm. it's like I don't know if I want to, like, after everything we know, like, how do you just want to watch that person, like, have fun and go on a vacation? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Morocco, Mm -hmm. which— with Brandy Glanville and Karen Manzo. And it's like, how are they going to – how can we have fun watching these? Can they air them? Yeah. I'm, You know, they're talking about it too. But there are also these other – like Family Karma, yeah. Married to Medicine. Like there are shows that are really vital and wonderful and, you know, Real Housewives of New York is new. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. It always takes a show a minute to get its footing. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't know what happens with Atlanta. I don't – like it feels – like we are at an inflection point, and I hope that maybe this sounds like optim- like overly optimistic or naive or something, but like I feel like we can look at where we are and we can go toward the light a little bit, mm-hmm. and we can have fun and we can have good shows. And like if it's not serving some franchises, like you know, it's like we can let it go. Uh, I guess that brings me also to a point in. Again, I don't want to sound like a <laughs> an apologist for Bravo, but it's like the authenticity thing is so important for these shows. And authentically, like, you know, Leah McSweeney was going for that was her in some ways her authentic journey, right? Her struggle with, you know, with drinking. And, you know, we're seeing that with a, a bunch of different people. Again, it's like it's like. It is kind of real, but it also is kind of fake because it's produced. And where where do we draw the line there? Because we want these women to sort of show themselves, but that's not always going to be pretty or PC all the time. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. But I think it's like 
how do you respond to that? Because so you know, there's the famous Bravo wink, mm. where it's like they'll they'll have a cut or they'll have like music and. It it just lets you know how to feel as a viewer. And so I feel like there are ways where they have to edit it and, like, help shape it so it's like, okay, that's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a little intervention. Or, you know, sometimes not everything needs to be on, on camera. No, that's fair. Yeah. And it's like they did cut people vomiting. They cut mm-hmm. people, you know, people urinating. It's like mm-hmm. they have cut stuff because they're like, okay, this is too far. We don't mm-hmm. like this. And so it's like they do know that there are lines. It's just like, what are the lines? Yeah, and you can't anticipate every single, like, eventuality, but you can set some, like, clearer rules about, like, what is and is not acceptable, I guess. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they have a nightly talk show. You yeah. can talk <laughs> about this stuff afterward and you can be yeah. like, that wasn't okay. Not mm-hmm. everything, you know— one of the things that keeps coming up is like, this is a comedy. Yeah, you know? I was just about to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah. So it's like ev- things are being treated with the same amount of levity or the same tone, whether it's like, you know, racism, or, like it's really serious stuff or alcoholism mm-hmm. as like, you know, arguments over whether there was a cheese board at a yeah. part. You know, it's like not everything is the same volume. Not mm-hmm. everything is the same weight. And like, even if it's a comedy, there can be serious moments and and I think that viewers really respond to that and I think we can have these real moments of pathos like you were saying mm-hmm. that we want that we want to like connect with these people we know them we've known them for years, years. so many of them and like some of them we're not always rooting for yeah. but like you know a lot of them we are rooting for <laughs> yeah. we do love them and yeah. their flawed selves mm-hmm. too oh my gosh wow Anna wow thank you so much for coming in chatting with us are you wait okay last question are you gonna keep watching <laughs> yeah I, I I stopped for like when I was reporting I got too depressed to watch for a few months that is so fair but you know I had to check out the new Roni and then the trailer for Salt Lake <laughs> Before you know so it. <laughs> so right back in I'm back in I'm sure you, I'm sure you've thought a lot about this but do you have a housewives tagline oh my god <laughs> No, I don't. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm putting you you on the spot. I'm sorry. Chris, I feel like you must have like six. Like, my gosh. Like, you know what? Mine, and this is problematic, but it goes with your article. I think in college I came up up with one where it's like, I don't always finish a meal, but I finish a drink. (laughs) And that's really sort of exactly in keeping with the whole problem. So that's it for this uh, bombshell episode of Still Watching. Please send us your questions, your thoughts, your favorite housewives, your least favorite housewives. Uh, email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com or find me on social media at Chris Triss. You can find me at Hillabuster with two R's. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Jake Loomis. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back next week and introducing you to our next series that we'll be watching. Looking forward to seeing you then. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from. Whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. 
So join us every week on the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.